0: Tears shed for the self are tears of weakness. Tears shed for others are a sign of strength. Now what Brother Billy Graham was talking about here is if you only care about yourself, it only shows that you care about yourself and that you missed the whole point of what Christianity was all about because someone came and loved us enough to come and die on the cross for us. And so if you only care for yourself, it's the weakness that you show in your own faith but the more that you can care about someone else and not care about yourself, it is a strength and the knowledge that you know as a Christian. Uh, and in saying that, I have a, a little thing I came up with uh, that uh, God called the play, and it takes the whole team to score the goal. Everybody here is a football fan, or most of everybody is. And let's just say that Jesus is our quarterback. And it takes a whole team, I mean, I know that some of the Alabama quarterback, he can do a little bit up by himself, but it takes a running back, it takes a full back, it takes a, a, a right tackle and a left tackle to make sure that the whole message goes from one end of the field to the other, and you make the score. So I'm going to say that in, uh, in Mark 16, 15, God, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation." And when he does this, he doesn't just come up and say, hey, John, I need you to go preach the gospel to the world. Hey, Peter, I need you to go preach the gospel to the world. Or hey, Peter, John, and, uh, and, and Matthew, I need you to preach the world. He, it says he comes to the full 11 and says, go out into the world and preach the gospel. He didn't ask. He told them to go. Um, the awesome thing about, about sharing the gospel is it translates into the good news. It comes from you, uh, you Anglian. You meaning good and Anglian meaning messenger or message. So that's where we get, also get the word evangelism from. In this, you, uh, you have to go bring the good news as a good messenger and spread the gospel to not just the people that are in high society or low society. People here for domestic Everybody. We are we're called to preach the word to everybody. Uh, as, as I go, went through here and I was looking, and I said, well, everybody says, you know, well, I understand we're supposed to give the gospel, and we're supposed to teach the gospel, but I don't feel like I'm led to be an evangelist. I just, I, I just don't see it. I, 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 was, I was built to be a teacher, not an evangelist. I'm going to tell you that you do not have to be one of those, stand up here, shout at everybody, fist-throwing crazy evangelists that tells you, look, you're going to go to hell if you don't believe this and this." not up to be an effective witness. I've seen it. Telling somebody that you don't feel like you're called to evangelize is kind of like saying, I really don't feel like I'm called to love anybody. And God says, love your brothers as you love me. So he's even called us to do that. So you can't say that you're not called to evangelize. It's part of the deal. Going through here, I found six uh, archetypes or approaches of what it means to be an evangelist. The first one we're going to go through is the confrontational. These are your guns blazing, go in guns blazing, scream at everybody, holler at everybody, kind of like I do. And you can ask... You can ask my wife and, and Brandon if I, I could if that wall will sit there and talk to me for 15 minutes, we'd have enough, we'd have that wall in, in heaven one day, uh, because I just don't give up. But they're the ones that go in there and they're on, on the front lines, just just trying to pound it, foreign domestic. Just come on, you need to get saved right now. You ain't got time. You might you don't want to leave here and die and not know where you're going. Well, in Acts two we have, see a wonderful. Uh, example of this and uh, it's where Peter is standing up uh, right after the day of the Pentecost and it said uh, here it said with many words he warned them save yourselves from this corrupt generation those who accept his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day so just because Peter got up there and had the courage to say look this is the way it is. This is how it's going, and this is where we're going. Let's go ahead and stop what we're doing here, rewind, and go forward in another direction, so that we don't have to live in this corrupt society anymore. Because Jesus came, He died, and He uh, and He saved us from all this. Um, I'll tell you a great story, and uh, Haley, Haley and uh, Cody, which ain't here today, they like to pick on me about the story, but. Uh, I got my ministry calling when I was 15 years old. And I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And I was sitting uh, at a youth function, and I realized that God called me to be an evangelist. I said, okay, well, that's not too bad. I mean, Peter was an evangelist. Paul was an evangelist. That's cool. The first time I ever stepped in front of a a bunch of of people, I was petrified. I was like, how in the world do you look at somebody and say, you know that sin you got in your life? Yep, <laughs> it's sending you to hell. <laughs> we got to fix that. That's terrifying to tell somebody that if they die today, that they're not going to make it without the blood of Jesus Christ. So I had this guy mentor me. He said, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to walk around a couple Walmarts. And we're going to talk to these folks and see if we can get some uh, get something out of them. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, that's cool. I mean, if, I, if they get mad at me, I'll never have to see him again because they're just folks in Walmart and you'll never see him again. So God convicted me. There was this man in the frozen pea section. I'll never forget where we, where we were. And God said, you need to go talk to that guy. I'm like, God, you know, he's like in the middle of something right now. I mean, he's like checking the weight to price ratio and I'm like, God, I don't think that's the guy you want me to talk to. He's like, yeah. He said, you need to go talk to that guy right here. I'm like, fine. So I go up, and I, this guy's in a nice suit. And I'm like, oh, goodness, this, this guy looks like a, 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 a CIA agent or something. He's going to pull out a gun and shoot me. And uh, I say, yes, sir, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. He said, really? And I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, I said, I don't want nothing from you. I said, but if you died today, where would you go? He said, I would go to heaven. And I said, oh, really? He said, I said, could you tell me why? and he said, "Well, I'm a good person. I do this, this, and this and this." He said, "And also, I'm the preacher at Orchard Assembly of God." <laughs> Way to go, God. Thank you. But it was embarrassing because I was like, "Well, maybe my maybe my my Christian radar is off." But then he looked at me he said, son, what's your name?" I said, "My name's Justin. I'm I'm uh a youth ministry student at Orchard Baptist Church, which is right down the street. He said, I want you to know that I've been praying about people getting out and outreaching like this, and the fact that a 15-year-old kid walked up to me and asked me about my salvation, he said, that was a blessing to me. He said, you confirmed all kinds of stuff to me through God for you just coming up and saying, hey, can I have five minutes of your time? He said, God bless you and keep doing what you're doing. That was one of the most embarrassing and most powerful moments of my life, all rolled in one. It's a great story and it's a great attention getter, but yet it still it still makes me think, well, if I'm just this little kid and I can do it, and he sees I can do it, why can't we all do it? And you don't have to be this confrontational Christian like I am. I'm i I'm just very am I'm very blunt and to the point and I lo- and I'll love you through it. If, if you disagree, I'll love you through it. If you agree, I'll love you even more through it. But, uh, but that was my, my embarrassing first, uh, my first real embarrassing story. That actually has happened about three more times, but that's probably the best one I had out of all of them. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is your intellectual approaches. Uh, and everybody's going to know what I'm talking about here. Has anybody ever went to a Walmart, and you have that guy who's standing up in the back of his truck, He's got speakers like this sitting on his truck, and he's just blaring these these sermons out of the out of these speakers of these vehicles. And he's like, "Y'all, y'all don't understand. The end is coming. Just just listen to me, please. Just listen to listen to what I got to say." Uh, I mean, these are your so-called uh, so-called soapbox preachers. They go out and they plead, and they and they stand in parking lots at Walmart and Target. And they're like, "Look, all you have to do is just listen to me for five minutes, and I will give you." The bread of life and show you where you're going. But uh, these are the folks who, knows, uh, who know how to, uh, who know their Bible fluently enough that they can talk to you about anything just right off the top of their head. They're, uh, a lot of your apologeticists, I wish Cody was here. Cody is one of those intellectual outreach uh, folks. I mean, he can sit there and it may be an argument at first, but Cody can back it up with scripture and more scripture and more scripture and show you how. Jesus came and died and paid for our sins. Um, I actually uh, was thinking about uh, a guy that uh, I've talked to uh, a couple times. He used to come to the Sims Walmart. And uh, I asked him one time, I said, why do you do what you do? He said, well, God called us to do it. And he told me about Mark 16, 15. And, and that is one of the most powerful things. He said, go and preach the Word. He didn't ask us to. And he said, that is what I do. He said, as soon as it, he said the day that I feel Jesus call, he said, "I he said I have everything loaded up in my trailer. He said I hook my my Ford pickup to it. He said and I drive it to the nearest Walmart. He said and I preach the word. He said I may not ever see the fruit of my labors. He said, but that doesn't matter. He said God called me to go and preach. He didn't tell me to go and save because he's the ultimate savior. My next one is going to be the testimonial Christian, Brandon." these are the folks who are very good at remembering how they were before Christ. Everybody says, well, I was going through this, and I had all this junk, and I had this and that and the other, and God saved me from, from jumping off a cliff when I was like 10 years old because there a, a seagull flew by, and, they, they, and he saw God in the seagull. And, but they're so passionate about their testimony that they can lead somebody to Christ just by telling them, look, I went through this, then God intervened, he showed me his love, he died for me, and this is where I am today. I was one of those Christians. I, I was 15 years old, uh, and, and I guess uh, the only uh, proper word for it is I was going to hell in a handbasket. I was just I, I was one of those didn't care Christians. I had a, girl, a little 14-year-old girl say, hey, you need to come to church with me on, on Sunday. And I was like, okay, I'll go some Sunday. They, uh, she showed up that Sunday with her mom. Said, "Hey, I'm here to pick you up for church." 8:30. I was just getting out of bed. I said, "Oh, I meant I would go a Sunday." She said, "Well, what better Sunday is than than today? Today's Sunday. Get dressed. Let's go." And I got saved that Sunday morning with a uh, a message on 17 inches. Uh, the preacher had a had a uh, tape measure and he measured 17 inches from the top of your head to the center of your chest. And he was explaining to me, because I knew who God was. I knew he was the supreme creator. I knew that Jesus was Lord. And, and this, that, and other. But he said, you can know that God exists in your head. But completely miss it by not knowing Jesus in your heart. And I was like, whoa. I mean, whatever that guy's got, I want it. And so that Wednesday night, I got saved. I I, I physically got saved that day, because I knew that, that I wanted Jesus to save me, but somebody led me through the prayer of salvation and understanding salvation the following Wednesday night. There's so much power in our testimonies. It doesn't have to be one of those standing on the side of the cliff moments. It doesn't have to be one of those, I got in a car accident and saw God, or an angel pulled me out of a vehicle, or or, "or kept me from this. It could be as simple as I was a broken person, sad in my transgressions, and Jesus came and saved me from them depression, sadness, worrying about how you're going to pay for the meals next week, how you're going to pay your bills next week. It can be something just as simple as that. Uh, in Acts 17, you see a good, a good example of this. And, uh, though no, that was a testimony. Excuse me. And, uh, in testimony, you have John 25, He uh And this is talking about the guy who is, uh, who has been blind his whole life. And Jesus says, get up, now you can see. And then the Pharisees come up, he's like, dude, did you know that guy's an evil man? And he's like, man, he's like, I don't know if he's evil or not, but I couldn't see, and now I can. And he says he's the Messiah. So I'm going to kind of go with what he says, because that's all I got to go on. He said, I once was blind but now I can see which makes up for a wonderful song that we sung this morning and how powerful is that to know that you were born blind never being able to see and then one day you just can that's an ultimate testimony that's about like the lame being able to walk again Uh, Paul is very uh, Paul is very uh, this after Jesus heals the blind man he says to the Pharisees whether or not he can see whether or not he is evil, I can see. Once when I couldn't. What power is in those words? Now we're uh, going to go to interpersonal. Uh, I uh, This is another one that Brandon's really guilty of. And uh, I like picking on him because he picks on me in his sermons all the time. These are your folks that are good at knowing, uh, or that have friends who are very good at uh preaching the word like me. And he says, "Hey, you want to go hang out with these folks over here and I'm going to take notes while you're preaching just so I can, so we can so we can get the word into these kids somehow some way." And so uh we had had a kid we went and played uh, video games with for a couple hours one day. And we were and we would talk back and forth about um what salvation meant and what uh, what discipleship meant and stuff like that. Um, and it tells you, um, it tells you, and it, is, it helps when you have other people that can come in and say things in a different way than what you could. Me, I'm a very headstrong, point forward to, to the wall, but Brandon is more like, well, hey, let's slow down and let's, uh, let's play some video, let's read some comic books, let's do this. Oh, and hey, what about Jesus? This is, this is Jesus, the guy who saved me. And this is why I'm, I'm, I am the way I am, and the way I talk, and, and stuff like that. It's just all kinds of. Uh, it's being personal with the person instead of just saying, "Hey, get saved. I'm glad you got saved, and goodbye." It's, "Hey, uh, let's be friends. Let's get you saved, and let's move on and grow in growing that friendship." Uh, Luke five twenty seven through twenty nine uh, is about when Levi is. Uh, he, uh, he comes, Jesus walks up and he says, Levi, get up and come with me. And Levi doesn't wait. He doesn't stop. He doesn't ponder on it. He just gets up and it says that he leaves everything. Uh, Pastor Stan was talking about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, when these uh, tax collectors, uh, signed up to be tax collectors, they have uh, these uh, contracts that they have to fill, that they have to pull so much money out of each region uh, every quarter or however they did that back then. And they had to have that money to, the, uh, to the, the, uh, the leaders of the time. And what it says here in the original Greek is he picked up and he left everything. The other tax collectors just fought over all his contracts and everything else that he had signed up to do for all the leaders of the day. And so it says, uh, Then after Levi, after that, Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. So, so Levi had that uh, epiphany and said, You know what? All my friends are tax collectors. But you know what? My biggest friend is Jesus. He says, So what I'll do is I'll have this humongous party, and I'm going to have the tax collectors there with Jesus, and we're going to have one of them save par- salvation parties. And that's what happened. They had this big banquet, and they all ate together. That is probably one of the with teenagers. I know for a fact that's probably one of the best ways you can actually start a relationship with a teenager. If you walk up to one of them and say, "Hey, do you know Jesus Christ?" they'll be like, "No," but why? Why? Why do I need to know Jesus? This way, you can say, "Hey, come hang out with me. Let's let's have fun. Let's do let's do this and and have fun. And then, hey, this is this is Jesus. That's the best. uh, That's probably one of the best ways that I've seen." to hang out with teenagers. Um, the next one we're going to move on to is our uh, invitational approach. And uh, this one, it probably hits home with a lot of people here. If it wasn't for that 14-year-old girl the day I got saved, I wouldn't be here today. She invited me countless times. And I, and I finally, after, instead of blowing her off that time, I said, sure, I'll go one Sunday. I just didn't know that one Sunday what was the next Sunday. We've got to. We have to invite people to church. We have to. It's not a thing that we need to think about doing. It's not something that we've thought about doing. It's something we need to do every time we open these doors. If we can't get them here, we may not get them saved. People are not... Uh, people are not Accustomed to everything, but if you get them here and you show them the love that we have here at Northside, that's a that's a gateway through the door. You have to get them in a church. If it's not our church, get them to a church. I mean, that's what I used to tell uh, tell kids all the time. You don't have to be here, but be somewhere. Grow in the Word somewhere. Is it a requirement that you go, uh, that you go to church? No. It never says in the Bible that you have to go to church. But is, is Christianity a little bit easier for going to church? Yes. You don't go to a bar downtown and try to preach the word because you have all these God-fearing people down in this bar downtown. No, it's not going to happen. You know what's going to happen? They're going to drag you down. They're going to drag the people down. You have to be somewhere with godly people to be raised in a godly manner. So we have to, we have to invite people to come to church. John four twenty nine. You see, uh, you see this man, and, and he says, uh, "Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever did." Could you imagine someone coming down and looking at you and saying, "This is everything you've done, and I know about it—your deepest, darkest secrets that you ain't ever told anybody." And he says, "I'm the Christ, and I'm your salvation." When you want to tell about, it, hey y'all. Come here and talk to this Jesus. That's who this Jesus is that we we worship today. The man who says, you know, even though everything you've done wrong, you're still okay because I came for you. I came and died for you. I stood in your place on that cross. We've got to tell everybody, say, hey, come see. Come see this Jesus that they're talking about. That message has not changed. Ever. The, The primary objective is, come see Jesus. It don't matter how you uh, how you deliver the message, whether it's invitational or interpersonal, intellectual testimony, that is the biggest thing. Come see Jesus. Our uh our sixth and final uh final uh approach is the serving approach. Everybody in this room, I know for a fact, is guilty of this one. We all serve. Here at this church, we have no Bystanders We have no people on the bench. we don't have any any substitutions. Everybody here at this church works and that's a, that's a blessing and it's amazing. We have to serve one another, whether it's you go to an elderly woman's house and take out her trash or fix a fence for her or build a a a shed for her for her lawn equipment or just going by to drink a cup of coffee. You wouldn't believe how much uh, just coming by and drinking a cup of coffee and delivering the word is in a serving aspect. Because sometimes it could be uh, one of those moments where this one person is saying, you know, I may just end it because nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. And then you show up and say, hey, you want to have a cup of coffee and just talk? You know what? God showed up in their life and said, you know what, somebody still matters. You still matter to somebody. Somebody still loves you. We have to serve, and God's called us to serve in numerous, numerous, numerous different passages. But there was one that I thought about uh, that was really uh, that really hit home in me. But uh, it's in Acts nine nine thirty six, and uh, it's Dorcas. It says, uh, "In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, that translated to Dorcas, who was always doing good and feeding the homeless." That's all she did was feed the homeless and do good things. So this morning, church, I'm saying, you know, yeah, you may not think you're an evangelist. You don't have to be a confrontational evangelist. You don't have to be just an invitational evangelist. You could be a mixture of three or four of those evangelists, but put them to use because God asked you to That's all I got this morning.